Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes today from 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13. You may find this in your pew Bibles on pages 279 through 280. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13. David asked, Is there anyone left of the house of soil to whom I may know kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba and said he was summoned to David. The king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. The king said, Is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, There remains the son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machar, son of Amiel, or Lodibar. Then David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, son of Abimel, at Lodibar. The Mephiosabeth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. David said, Messiah He answered, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather's soil, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. He did obeyance and said, What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your servants and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food to eat. But your master's grandson, Matthias Beth, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. Messiah ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Messiah had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Messiah servants. Messiah lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. The word of the Lord.
our New Testament lesson, I would just read a few brief verses. The risen Lord is speaking. The last page of your Bible, the last chapter from Revelation 22, beginning at verse 16. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let everyone who hears say, come, and let everyone who is thirsty come, and let everyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift come. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. One of the really neat things about Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church is that we are a church that's overflowing with a lot of young families and a lot of young adults. That's a happy occasion in any church, and it's a rarity in the church today uh, throughout the country, not just Presbyterian, but other churches as well. There's not the same level of participation among young adults as was the case in previous uh, generations. But having so many young families and young couples among us, we get to baptize a lot of babies. And I know parents are always looking for distinctive and great names, sometimes biblical names that they can give their children. So I have a suggestion to any who may be expecting now or in the near future, you might want to consider the name Mephibosheth. I know you can call him Bo or Chip or anything else, but uh, this is not a name that's well known. I've been in the ministry since 1972. I have never baptized a Mephibosheth and don't suspect that I will anytime soon. But at any rate, uh, it is a good name. And there is a scene from the tragic life of Mephibosheth that comes down through the generations to bless the people of God today, especially today, I might say, as we gather at the king's table as I indicated, Mephibosheth is not one of your better-known characters. I doubt seriously that many of you knew who he was prior to entering the doors of the sanctuary this morning, but you would be much more familiar with his grandfather, Saul, the first king of Israel, or with his father, Jonathan, who was the great friend and loved one of King David. Jonathan and David have a very special relationship in the scriptures, and they are the prototype of what it means to be friends, especially friends in the family of faith. Um, I've baptized a lot of Jonathans. I imagine there's some Jonathans here this morning. Uh, so we know the name Jonathan, and he's one of the most colorful and most popular characters in the New Testament because he had the audacity and the courage to befriend David, who was growing in his own popularity, while King Saul, the father of Jonathan, was out to kill David. In fact, he would have killed David if Jonathan, the king's son, hadn't intervened to help spare David's life. He valued him that much that he would take that risk. Uh, and he was the heir to the throne of Israel himself. Jonathan was. But at any rate, uh, that's the situation um, with Mephibosheth. His name comes up because David, years later, is reminiscing about his good friend, Jonathan, and the king whom he faithfully served, Saul, although Saul didn't appreciate it. Uh, but he asked, is there no one left that I can bless who is a part of the family of King Saul or part of the family of Jonathan? And Ziba, who had been a servant of uh, King Saul, said, well, yes, there is. Jonathan had a son, a crippled child that is living 
east of the Jordan in the house of Machir. Uh, so that is the lone surviving relative that we know of. Well, David sent for him, summoned him to come and appear before him, which he did. And you have to wonder what Mephibosheth was thinking as he was called to come and appear uh, before the king. Because remember, he was an heir apparent to the throne as well. He could have been a rival to King David. At any rate, I suspect he was understandably fearful and anxious and nervous as he bowed down before King David and gave obeisance uh, to him. Just imagine the thoughts that were running through his head. Will the executioner's sword descend upon my neck and kill me? Has David grown, grown as mad and as jealous as King Saul did? And now he considers me a rival. Uh, maybe he thinks I'm politically ambitious, that I would like to try to seize the throne somehow. He knew in his heart and mind that he had done nothing to deserve the king's favor or his blessing. And I doubt that he could even remember who his father, Jonathan, was. Uh, being just a child of five when he died, he, his memories would have been very vague. And he probably did not know about the vow that Jonathan and David had made to each other to be friends for all their lives. So here he is, poor, pitiable little Mephibosheth, with no rightful claim to mercy or grace or anything else. He is the pathetic victim of life's tragedies, all kinds of tragedies. He was a victim of a war that had robbed him of the life of his father and his grandfather, both killed in the same day at the Battle of Gilboa when they were fighting the Philistines. He was the victim of a freak accident that had robbed him of his health when he was just a child. What had happened, you see, was that when the news reached Jerusalem that the king and the heir apparent had been killed in battle, the city of Jerusalem began to flee to safety, thinking their days were numbered. They were doomed. And so in her haste, Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up to run out of the palace and to flee, and she dropped the child and broke both of his legs and his feet, and he was crippled for the rest of his life. So he was a victim of that freak accident. He was a victim of the harsh times in which he was living, in which diseased or crippled persons were ordinarily either abandoned or abused or left to the care of their own families, of which Mephibosheth had none. So poor Mephibosheth, what could he possibly have hoped for as he knelt before King David? Maybe it'd be just as well if the sword fell and would remove him from all of the miseries in life that he had experienced. Now, if Mephibosheth had only known better the character of the king before whom he was kneeling, Maybe he wouldn't have been so frightened. Because here in David, at least in his better moments, was a man after God's own heart, as he is described. A man of compassion. A man of justice. A man who wanted to bless those who had loved and served him. You see, when King David looked at Mephibosheth, he didn't see a cripple. He didn't see a man that was living in obscurity, a man that had gone through all kind of pain and abandonment. What David saw in Mephibosheth was his friend Jonathan, whom he had loved, and he was anxious to bless him. He wasn't a threat. This was the long-lost son of his dearest friend, and he intended to bless him. 
Mephibosheth must have thought his ears were deceiving him when he, David said, I want to bless you. This is what I'm going to do. I am going to return to you all of the land, all of the properties that belong to your grandfather, King Saul. And not only that, but I'm going to give you all of his servants. They can farm the land for you. They can serve as servants in your house. And not only that, but I want you to be a guest at my table for every meal. You will be considered a royal son in Israel. Don't you love a story that has a good ending? This one does. The remarkable turn of events in the life of Mephibosheth even refers to himself as a dead dog. Why are you doing to this? I am nobody. I'm a dead dog. But he wasn't, certainly not in David's eyes. Once forgotten, he was now remembered. Once abandoned, he is now a part of the king's household, a member, a royal son, if you will. Once abandoned and orphaned, he now has a new family, a new home. I wonder if you can see a correlation between the situation with Mephibosheth and the situation that we find ourselves in on this Pentecost Sunday as we gather again at the table of our Lord. Do you realize how wonderful and amazing it is that helpless and hopeless cripples like you and me are invited to dine at the king's table? We may not be physically crippled, but we are all crippled in some way to some extent. If not physically, we're crippled mentally or emotionally or morally or spiritually. And each of us in his own way is also a victim. A victim not necessarily of life's tragedies, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, but we're the victims of our own sin and folly. We're the victims of our own poor decisions and choices in life. We're the victims of our own stubbornness and hard-headedness and willful, willfulness. Like Mephibosheth, we have no claims upon the king's mercy. We have no right to be at this table, no inherent right at all. In fact, if we think we do, we are in trouble. Because one of the things you must do before coming to this table is to recognize your own unworthiness. No one has a right no one has an inherent place at this table. We are all dependent upon the grace and mercy of God, which we know we do not deserve. When the king looks at us, like King David looked at Mephibosheth, what does he see? He doesn't see our flaws and our failings and our weak work weaknesses. He doesn't see the many times we've failed him in the past, if we've repented of our sins, if we have embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, then we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And when God looks at those who are invited to his table, he doesn't see us individually alone. He sees us as his son, Jesus, who has borne the penalty for our sins and whom God the Father loved so much that he sent him among us to reclaim us and to bring us into a right relationship with him and with, other, and with one another. So there's still a place cripples at the table of our Lord today and this is a gracious and wonderful word if we can receive it and not only is there room for cripples at this table there's room for no others if you don't recognize how you are flawed and crippled then that is when you have a problem and that is why you are not invited to the table none of us deserves a spot here this morning you will be invited to this table not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. 
and who God is in his relationship with you. If you're wounded and needed and need in need of healing, you're invited to this table. If you are a sinful person in need of forgiveness, you're invited to come. It's a table for sinners. If you feel helpless and hap hapless and hopeless, then here at this table you can find the source of life abundant and eternal. In the Sermon on the Mount, the first beatitude that Jesus spoke was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to be spiritually bankrupt, if you will. You don't have anything to offer to God that qualifies you for his mercy or prepares a place for you at this table. And it is only as we recognize the poverty of our spiritual condition that the kingdom of God is open for us. As I was working on this sermon last night, an old gospel hymn came to mind. If I thought about it sooner, we would have sung it today. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.